0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come and speak your word to us, that we would hear your word, and it would bear fruit in our lives all to your honor and glory, So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So today, as we continue our series, Walking with Jesus Through Holy Week, as we continue to look at the events of Holy Week sort of spread out through the whole season of Lent, we come today to another event where perhaps Jesus doesn't fit our typical picture of him. Last week, he cursed a fig tree, symbolizing the wrath of God coming on us if we don't repent and bear fruit. And today, we see him come into the temple and start kicking people out and driving them out and disrupting everything that's going on there. Clearly, he's mad about what he sees. It's okay to get mad. And in fact, we should get mad about the right things. But what is it that Jesus gets so upset about? What is Jesus denouncing? Clearly, he's troubled by what he sees. And he does something so severe that at the end of it, in verse 18, the religious leaders want to destroy him. And in fact, they do get him crucified just a few days later. But what is it that Jesus sees that gets him so upset? Because if we don't know what he's denouncing, we won't know how to address it in our own lives. So typically, readers assume That he's troubled by the fact that people were buying and selling, especially dishonestly, in the temple, because it mentions something about that. And there may be pieces of that, but when we read this closely, which is what we're going to do today, when we read this closely, we find that there's actually more going on that Jesus is doing and saying. So we're actually going to look very briefly at each one, but we're actually going to look at four different things that we see if we read closely in this passage Uh, of what's going on. Four things that we see here, how that relates to us, and then we're actually going to stop and do what he tells us to do, put it into practice. But we'll do that when we get there. So four things that we see here that are important about this scene of Jesus cleansing the temple, as it's commonly called. So four things. The first is this. Busyness. Busyness in the temple. So you have to sort of imagine the scene here. The scene is kind of an open market, kind of a a bazaar taking place in the temple courts. So just imagine this whole campus here is set up as a market that you have to get through in order to come to church. And verse 16 specifically notes that Jesus would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Well, there was a Jewish law that said very clearly... No one was allowed to carry anything through the temple. It wasn't a cut-through for cut-through traffic. The outer courts of the temple where this would have taken place are actually quite large. And to go around it, if you're on one side and want to go to the other, to go around it is a pretty long walk, especially when you're walking and carrying something. I mean, I see how many people cut through our parking lot to get to the other side, and that's driving. If you're walking, carrying stuff, there's no wonder people want to cut through. But there was a specific rule, specific law that said that was not allowed, cutting through the temple. But all these people are cutting through. So the temple area is bustling with activity. Wouldn't we love it if our property were bustling with that many people coming and going? I mean, just think what ministry we could do if we had that many people coming here at least that's what we think. And hey, maybe even we could raise some money like that. I mean, there was financial business taking place that raised money for the temple. We tend to think that stuff would be great. And Jesus sees it all taking place in the temple and he drives out the people who are doing it and won't let any of this happen anymore. No one can come through. Busyness in the church is not the same as maturity. Maturity busyness in the church is not the same as ministry in the church busyness the second thing that we see here when we read closely we see that jesus is upset about moral negligence jesus calls in uh, verse 17 he says uh, he calls this a den of robbers shall we say not exactly a flattering description But he's not primarily talking about the the money that's changing hands. It's deeper than that. He's not actually necessarily accusing them of unjust transactions. Um, So just to give you a little bit of context of what the money changers and the the pigeons that are mentioned, what that's all about. And this is what's going on. There is a a Jewish temple tax that every Jewish male has to pay once a year. So they have to show up and pay their tax. Um, but in order to do that, you actually had to pay it in the specific currency. But it wasn't the currency that was used outside the temple in the Roman world. So people come to give their tax, to pay their tax, but they're coming with, the wrong, they're coming with dollars and they need euros. And so they have tables set up to literally exchange the money so that you can give your tax. That's not immoral. That's what was needed in order to, to do that. So that's the money changers that are mentioned. And another one that's mentioned is the people buying and selling, and the pigeons specifically get get mentioned. What happened was, as a part of sacrificing in the temple, you sacrificed an animal. And as, uh, as the culture became less and less, everybody was a farmer. Not everybody had an animal to bring, but also some people traveled from a great distance, and they couldn't necessarily bring their flock with them in order to sacrifice. So they show up, and they have money, And they buy an animal that they can then sacrifice. So they're sacrificing their money so that they can buy it. So that's taking place so that people can worship. So certainly the temple grounds shouldn't turn into a marketplace. But I think there's a little bit more understanding of what's happening there. But when Jesus says, you have made this into a den of robbers, he's actually quoting something from the Old Testament. Jeremiah 7, and the context there of this den of robbers language, the context there is that people, God's people, go out and do all sorts of morally bankrupt practices, and then they come back to the temple thinking they're okay because they came to church. This isn't true repentance for what they've done wrong, which all of us should do. This is coming to church with no intention of changing, but coming because they think they're okay because they showed up. Jeremiah 7, the passage that Jesus quotes, God says this, Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we're delivered, only to go on doing these same abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Think of the mafia boss coming to church on Sunday, not because of repentance and turning to Jesus, but because that's what you do, not having anything to do with what's been done the rest of the week and actually thinking that's okay. So when Jesus calls the temple, the people in the temple, a den of robbers, he's speaking of the moral negligence of God's people. Busyness and moral negligence. And third, he gets at Jewish exclusivity. And we could, by extension, say exclusivity of of anybody who thinks they're the only ones or the best ones. But this exclusivity. See, the court where all of this takes place, you don't need to know the whole uh, layout of the whole temple, but this outer section of the temple where this took place was known as the court of the Gentiles. It's the one place in the whole temple that Gentiles, non-Jews, were allowed to come. So if a Gentile wants to worship and learn more about the one true God, this is where they can come. But that place has been taken over by business and busyness. And Jesus says that the house of God is to be a house of prayer for all nations. And the word nations is the same word Gentiles. You've taken away the court of the nations, where the nations are supposed to be able to come and pray. This is supposed to be a place for all nations, but you've taken away the part that the nations, the Gentiles, can use. But that doesn't matter so much if you think God only cares about your personal group. And so Jesus is attacking this idea of exclusivity and superiority, thinking that they're the only ones that matter. Busyness, moral negligence, and exclusivity. And then I think we get to the heart of it. He notices and is upset by their prayerlessness. Verse 17, he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. I will say that one of the good things that has happened for many churches in the midst of this pandemic is that so much of the busyness, the not good activity, the busyness that develops in any church over the years was just suddenly stopped. And certainly that wasn't all good, and it's certainly not what we would have chosen, and absolutely not all church activity is wrong, definitely not. But when activity has to cease, Do we find that below all of that activity is a true house of prayer, a people deeply committed to prayer and worship, even when it's not the way we would like it to be? And honestly, what most churches in the United States discovered is that when activity was taken away, many, many people disconnect from God. It was the activity that brought them and propped them up, not worship and prayer. And when all that was left was Jesus himself and turning to him in worship and prayer, especially in ways that we would prefer to do it differently, when all that was left was Jesus and worshiping him and praying to him, what happened? For many, they started drifting away. See, God's house is supposed to be a house of prayer, made up of people of all nations, But so often we think that if we can just get enough activities and enough people passing through, we must be doing something right. But Jesus says, no. His church is a house of prayer, not busyness, not a place for sinners to come and feel good about ourselves so that we can leave unchanged, satisfied because we showed up. A house of prayer. Prayer is our real work. And when Jesus comes to the temple, he sees that God's people have neglected prayer. Prayerlessness. And so, we're going to end this a little bit differently. Jesus says we should be a house of prayer, so we're going to just stop everything and pray. I'm going to tell you how we're going to do this. We're going to pray in a couple different ways, and I'm going to guide you through that. And I would encourage you, especially if there's a way that we do this for just a moment that's new or different for you, I would encourage you to uh, take note of that and try it this week at home on your own. If you're not sure about prayer, you're not sure there's a God that's there, I would encourage you to just sort of open yourself up to him and see if he's there, would he reveal himself? Would he intervene in your situation? If you're uncomfortable with this, that's fine. There's going to be some nice, pretty music playing to help us kind of focus, and you can just sit there and enjoy the music for a minute. No one's going to put you on the spot at all. But I would invite you to enter in and pray as we seek to be a house of prayer. So I'm going to give you a a few different things to pray, and then I'll give you a moment to do that. And the first one is just take a moment and say thank you to God for something. Just take a moment and say, Thank you, God, for. Say thank you to the Lord. I'm just going to invite you to draw to mind another person, somebody other than yourself that you could pray for doesn't have to be fancy, but just someone in your life that you know that needs prayer and ask God to intervene for them. I invite you to lift up something that you need prayer for, praying for yourself. Would you take a moment to pray for your own needs? I'm going to ask you to open your bulletin. And turn to Psalm 16, which was already read today. If you turn back a couple pages. Psalm 16. And I'm just going to invite you on your own to read those first two verses, verses 5 and 6, to just read them silently and find something in there that you can turn to prayer. So, for example, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. So, Lord, we thank you that you are enough for us that you fill us up and we don't need anything else? Something like that. Would you find something in there that you can pray? next one, while you have your bulletin open, if you turn to page 5 in your bulletin, where it's what's called the Collect of the Day, a prayer that's written for us, so it's not coming from your heart, it's prayed written, uh, not coming extemporaneously from your heart. What I invite you to do is to just read through and pray that prayer as a prayer from you, and you can even change the words to make it personal. Almighty God, you know that I have no power in myself. Would you pray that prayer to the Lord? This last one, the music is actually going to stop, and what I'm going to do is, this is going to be hard for some of you, and I'm fine with that. What we're going to do is we're going to take two whole minutes, 120 seconds, it's going to feel like 10 for some of us, but two whole minutes, I have my watch here and everything, we're going to sit in silence, and what we're going to do in that time is not to specifically bring all of our needs to the Lord, but to just sit in his presence consciously bringing our mind and our hearts to focus on him. And so when you find your mind bouncing around, when you feel your ankle start throbbing for no reason, which everyone's now going to do because I mentioned it, um, when you notice something, that's fine. When it takes your attention off of Jesus, just consciously bring your attention back to Jesus, okay? For some people, it would be really helpful to close your eyes to block out some of the distractions, Some of you may be the opposite. It might be really helpful to look at something that reminds you of Jesus. And I would recommend one of the about 50 crosses that we have somewhere up here uh, would be a great place to put your eyes. So I'm going to time it, but we're just going to have two whole minutes to just focus our mind and our hearts on Jesus. So let's do that together. busyness, moral negligence, exclusivity, and prayerlessness. As Jesus saw all of that during Holy Week, he still went to the cross for us. He went to the cross for people who put activity above him. Who sin and go on sinning with no intention to change. Who arrogantly think we're special and everyone else is condemned. And those who neglect him in prayer. And Jesus goes to the cross for us. So as his saved and transformed people. As we journey with him through Holy Week. May we truly be a house of prayer for all nations. Amen.